Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. I was just back from back from Canmore. Uh, I went to the Nordic Spa there. Mm-hmm. Kananaskis Nordic eh? Spa. Kananaskis. It was fantastic. It's all these outdoor pools and saunas and cold pools, hot pools. They're thinking of building one in Edmonton that was going to be down by Fort Edmonton, but they're not going to proceed with it there. I hope they proceed with it somewhere because it's an absolutely fantastic facility and uh, great for winter living, this kind of outdoor sauna, cold pool, hot pool experience that they love in Nordic countries, which we are one of, I would suggest. So, Bruce, we're here tonight to celebrate the the orders. I was going to say mourn. What a crappy game. I mean, it just everything went wrong that could go wrong. The orders actually weren't that that terrible this game. It was a 5-2 loss to the Ottawa Senators and there's lots to be unhappy about, but it it just was such a weird game. The Oilers actually had 13 grade A chances to six grade A chances for Ottawa. But Ottawa scored on three grade B chances. The Oilers had this is, you know, the Oilers goaltending has won them some games that they should have lost. And tonight, they, the Oilers goaltending lost the Oilers a game that they should have won. It's, and there's some bad bounces, at least two posts in the first period. I don't know, three posts, four posts this game for the Oilers. Three in the it, game, yeah. All of uh, McDavid, Drysaddle, Neal hit the post. Yeah. So this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. And we're also going to uh, briefly talk about Taylor Hall, although it's been written about a lot and discussed a lot on the internet, Bruce. Um, we haven't yet discussed it on the podcast to get your definitive view on, on this, this ongoing saga of Taylor Hall and whether or not he should come back to Edmonton or not. So we're going to, we'll talk about that at the end. What's your uh, good thing? Well, yeah, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Sam Gagne's pass on the first Oilers goal. The one where he was barely onside, where he took the pass at the blue line. And, you know, as soon as the puck went in the net, even before they showed the replay, I was going back on my remote saying, was he Me onside too. or not? Because uh, it was really close. Uh, I think he was onside. Definitely. At first I wasn't sure. And then, uh, but he got the puck and he made a, just a beautiful little shovel pass. Little, got it in the air to get it over the stick that was near him and put him into a lane where Drysaddle could skate onto it. And, of course, Leon makes the sick backhand feed to Kara for the finish. And on the TV, they're talking about, uh, first of all, they're talking about Leon's pass, which was good. But I thought Sam's was just showed some real vision and some real creativity there and created a goal. And I, I knew the goals would be, as soon as I saw Craig Anderson in that, I went, oh, no, not this guy again. Not this guy again. And sure enough, they couldn't beat that guy. Yeah, he got lucky. He just kills us. And Gagne also made a really nice play on the power play goal, you know, setting up Clefbaum with a nice feed to get a one-timer shot up. And for a second there, I, I we had on the power play, Bruce, what I always like to see. We had McDavid on the right half wall on his off wing and Gagne on his off wing on the left half wall. And I always think that's the best kind of power play formation. Oh, but you can't complain about the Oilers' power play this year too terribly much uh yeah 
if Gagne had been offside on that play, Brucey would have had to hand in his veterans card because. Yeah. Um, Step over <clears> the blue <throat> line and wait for the pass. Yeah. Yeah. I no, I knew. Play. I knew he was onside. <laughs> I just, I just knew it. I just knew he was going to be onside because he's too smart a hockey player to have been offside there. So, um, my good thing is the first period. The Oilers just, they were as dominant in the first period as they've been all year long. They just stopped the Senators. It looked like an NHL team versus an AHL team. The Senators were very lucky, lucky not to be down by three goals in that first period. It was seven to nothing on scoring grade A scoring chances in that period. And the Oilers' chances weren't just grade A chances. They were like in the 33% variety, you know, where you expect about one in three of those shots to go in. They just they just were so unlucky not to have uh, more than one goal. The, the puck just absolutely didn't bounce their way, not only on the hitting the goalpost plays, but just other plays where they were kind of charging into the slot and the puck was bouncing around. And all it needed to do was just fall on somebody's stick and they would have had a goal. So the Oilers just absolutely dominated that dominated Unless that it was first Riley Shane's stick, which it actually did fall on, and he still didn't put it in. No. <laughs> What's your um, bad thing? Oh, well, I would say the second and third periods, uh, but certainly the, you know, the Oilers, after taking it to them in the first period, they kind of fell back on their heels, and Ottawa took it to them. Uh, they got a couple of, I mean, that's sleazy goals. I mean, let's face it. But that just seemed to throw Edmonton completely for a loop, and they never got their crap together at any point thereafter, really. And uh, they, uh, I mean, they they got one late in the second to make it three to two, and they came out early in the third. And you would think three two down, they've just scored. They're going to come on gangbusters against a tired team that played on the West Coast last night with a short turnaround time between games, the Oilers should have the big energy advantage, and Ottawa came out and they smoked them in the third. They had the first five scoring chances. They scored twice. And again, there was some bad luck. I mean, a pass hit the ref and went right to Ottawa guy. There was one that was shot into the corner, and it hit some little thing in the boards. I mean, that, that, that one that they said Clefbaum <clears throat> overskated, that was a bad bounce. It was Puck was ringing the boards, and it was one of those cases where the boards were weren't, weren't flush. And the puck just hit and bounced right by Clefbaum. And our rink, Edmonton's lovely downtown arena, did not do the home team any favors tonight. The ice was terrible. It looked like that nobody could handle a puck with it. Damn. And the bounces off the board. He had two nice rushes on the same shift in the first period. And then after that, he was uh, not, for, not really much of a factor. Ottawa was all over him. And. Edmonton just had no response. I, I think this they really missed Zach Cassian in this game, and I think they missed a couple of their other their other guys. But they just, uh, yeah, yeah. That, there was that. a bad bounce on the like a, just a the, the the first goal that Mike Smith let in was such a weird goal because the, the, there's a fanned shot or fanned pass, and it kind of because it's fanned, then it kind of gets slapped behind the net, and then it just bounces perfectly yeah. to the guy, and then he puts it off Smith's pads. It was just one lucky bounce one lucky play after another on Ottawa's goal there and that was the killer right because once it was 4-2 um, it was over my bad thing was the goaltending Miko Koskin and it's been fantastic this year but Manny led in two terrible you know he should have had both of those shots he normally would have had both of those shots and when you Bruce you, you talked about the lack of pushback on the owners when a goalie lets in a grade B shot or two it in the NHL or any league 
in the world. It takes the life out of a team. It's hard for teams to come back, uh, not just for from a goal, obviously, but when the goalie just makes an obvious mistake. And Koskinen made two in a row right away. And Twelve seconds apart, eh? Just brutal. And then Smith's, you know, goes in off his skate from behind the net. Three grade B scoring chances, and they score three goals. You show me a game where a team lets in three goals like that and wins. It's it 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 could have happened tonight because Ottawa just looked so weak on a, a certain level. But but Edmonton just didn't have it. And Ottawa looked weak, and they were the better team. So I mean, <laughs> well, I don't think they were. I, I just think well. they got. I, I think, think they, got they the were in the, the, in the second and third periods. They were the better team, and that's two out of three periods. Yeah. I mean, Edmonton could have been ahead after the first period if they'd finished mm-hmm. some plays, but. Well, they were yeah they, one nothing, yeah. but they should have been more. If they had one more goal, two nothing. I don't think Ottawa comes back because Ottawa was, was ready to lose this game. What's your number? Uh, I'm going to go with the number six, and that is the consecutive number of times the Ottawa Senators, one of the NHL's typically worst teams, have come into Edmonton and beaten the Edmonton Oilers six times in a row. Six times in a row, the Ottawa has won here. Uh, 4-3 in overtime in 2014. Uh, 4-1 the next year. 2-0 the year after that. That was the Craig Anderson coming back after his wife's cancer scare game. And uh, uh, a big story and everything. 6-1 the year after that. 4-3 in overtime last year when Ottawa was in last overall. And Edmonton needed the win in, uh, uh, to stay alive in the playoffs. And every time, the Oilers just come out and they lay down a great big steaming turd on their home ice against this team. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure glad I'm not paying to watch a game like that. And, you know, put on a better show than that, guys. Come on. You paid with your time. Your precious yeah, time. Well, and my, my energy. Like, as you can tell, I'm pretty frustrated at this moment. And this team just can't get any damn traction. And every time they get a game that really, they have all the cards in their favor, <coughs> more arrested t- against the team, five-game losing streak, play last night in Vancouver, and then have them come all over <coughs> and, and run Edmonton's show in Edmonton's barn. It's just not acceptable. I bet you Dave Tippett is ripping them right now. That's my guess. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you like the way they played. I'm... I don't say I like the way yeah, they played. Okay, I just sorry, think I they, they, the goal, the goaltending was horrible. But yeah. can you rip? Like, what happened? Do you rip a goalie for being terrible? Like, it's not like it's a highly technical position, right? It's not like through lack of effort that that any of those three terrible goals were scored against. It's just it happens now and then. It happens to the best of goalies, and it happens to bad goalies lots. Fortunately, we haven't seen that many goals against Koskinen like that this year hardly any and you know it's been more common with smith but um i just think look the, the oilers won against vancouver the other night because Koskinen was great they lost against vancouver the other night before because smith was bad they lost tonight because of goaltending it's just so much a part of the game and um so i just put this one down to goaltending and and puck luck i don't think it was a particularly terrible effort from the Oilers. i just think it was that so I'm a little bit they, more sanguine get, than you are. They didn't get any puck luck, I'll say that. And they didn't get any, and there was a lot of bounces. The ice, to me, the ice was bad. Yeah. But my, it was bad for both teams. And yet sure. one team was able to cope with it. And uh, one team 
I mean, the Oilers couldn't get out of couldn't get over the blue line for long stretches of the game, trailing by a goal when they should be bringing the play, and they just couldn't make two passes in a row. Yeah. Um, Clef bomb Larson. My number is minus four. They were minus four, <clears throat> and it was kind of earned. Um, Clef bomb. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Larson at this point with the Oilers. Um, he had a good game uh, for Van- against Vancouver. Um, the last game, but this game again, he's just looking slow and not great with the puck and not like a modern NHL defenseman who needs to move the puck. And again, Clefbaum had a couple of these brain glitches, especially on the third goal. Mm-hmm. Not on, like the, the fourth goal, he overskated the puck and maybe that was just bad luck. Maybe he, maybe he just missed it. And that, that'll happen too, to a player. That's just like, it's not lack of effort. It might be lack of concentration, but it's just, it happens now and then. But Bruce, on the third goal against, his back check was pathetic. Yeah, he had he was in good position and he just glided and the goal scorer skated right by him and you yeah. Know. It's it's a two to one game at that point, and that's your effort level. I mean, it, I've said enough. I don't have to say anything more about that. It was just. Club what ball, is, I mean, he's, he's an exa- I thought he was great in the first period tonight. I thought it was he was. Look. And then, what see, happened? so if Tippett's going to get mad, that's what you get mad about mm-hmm. that play. Oh, no, I think Clefbaum had been out there for a while on the ice, right? And so had Drysaddle. So Drysaddle crosses the blue line. He, they've been out there. They had all kinds of pressure on. They were both tired. Drysaddle should have dumped it in. Tried got to dump off the it ice, in, but he, but get he it was. The guy. He he tried to get it. So his play wasn't even as bad as Clef Bombs, but Clef Bombs was just anyways, it was not good. Okay. Are we on to the whole thing now? Uh oh, I guess so. I guess we've run through all of our, There's all not of a lot our to good things and thing. bad things and uh, you know you know, a team that's not uh, able to gain much momentum these days, eh? So I'm going to go through what Elliot Friedman said, and I wrote a post on this, and this is why we're really... It's just coming up a lot, this whole thing. It's a never. Um, Again and again and again. And it seems like um, there's a faction of fans and commentators in Edmonton who really want Hall to return. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why it doesn't die. I'm not, honestly, I'm not on that train, Bruce. I'm okay if they get Hall back as a rental. I just do not see a long-term contract for Taylor Hall at this point for a lot of money being a wise move. He's uh, he's going to be 29 next year. His game's built on speed. He's had an injury-checkered career. Um, long-term deal. The Oilers are up against the cap. They got all kinds of players to sign. Ethan Bear, Darnell Nurse, Zach Cassian. Um, I just don't see how a long-term deal for Taylor Hall makes honestly any sense at all and i think it will be a big mistake there i said it so uh, let's go i'll tell you what friedman said and then we'll get your mm-hmm. take sure okay so elliot friedman was on tv tonight he says he is going to get traded so um yeah. they're looking at it now and he and he also said so some teams he but he didn't sound friedman didn't sound bullish on the Oilers as a destination he says i think there's a limit on what the Oilers are willing to do I don't even know if there's a guarantee that Hall's going to extend right now either. I think he's prefer- he's generally he's preferred to wait until the end of the year. I don't know if anybody trading for him now is even going to get the opportunity to, to try to sign him. I just think Edmonton, they're interested. 
but there's a limit to what they want to do. I have a feeling that threshold for this deal is going to exceed that. So even as a rental, so I, I don't, even as a rental. So Bruce, I've always thought that if Hall's going to do a, a trade and then sign that the owners aren't in on that. Cause there's going to be a team that has more cap space and more interest in Hall and they're going to offer New Jersey more. Hall is kind of, if he makes it clear, he's not signing till July 1st, that really screws the devils because they get a lot less in trade for, for Taylor Hall at that point. And then I think the owners have an outside chance at getting him. We did a poll today. Um, we had like 3,500 responses and, and what I was suggesting there is the Oilers trade for Hall as a rental, but they mm-hmm. don't give up Berg, they don't give up Evan Bouchard, they give up any other prospect and their first pick this year. Are, would fans be in favor of that? And most of the fans were not in favor of that. It really? was like 55% to 45%. Well, pretty close. Pretty close, but even as a, like, that's not a super high price for Taylor Hall, I would suggest. It's like probably like Caleb Jones in the first Kyler Yamamoto in the first, William Loggison in the first. Tyler, that's Tyler Benson. Tyler Benson in the first. Okay, so what would you what would you say for that? Let's just first that. For rental, uh, I'm not sure. I'm convinced the Oilers are close enough to be going out and and putting two or three major future chips on the line for. Um, uh, making a run at it this year. I just don't think they're close enough this year. I don't think it fits uh, Ken Holland's strategy. Uh, I, I, I just have a hard time imagining Ken Holland doing a trade like that, where he's given up, you know, a, a, a good prospect, uh, you know, a first-round pick. You get him for a little while. He comes here, uh, you know, the team, you know, maybe they make the playoffs or not, and they get eliminated. And then where the hell are you? He's on the open market, and you've lost your guy. You're, you know, you've lost your assets, and that sends back the, uh, the build. I don't want to call it a rebuild again, but the build. Not a rebuild, yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, the, I just don't see that it fits Ken Holland's um, strategy. Would you do it? Uh, I don't think I would. No, I don't think I would. I think. See, that, I, I mean, depends partly where that first round pick is, but I mean, if you're talking about doing it tomorrow, I mean, we don't know where that pick's going to be. Well, that's that's it, Bruce. Uh, that's a very good point. And Holland, when he was asked about it today, he's essentially saying, "This is all premature." You yeah. know, he, he's essentially saying, "Let's wait and see where we are." Like teams can go up yeah. and down. Let's wait and see where we are. Yeah. So that's obviously the same position. This is all premature, but of course we're fans, so we talk about everything in every scenario. Right. You know, the the one way you could do it is you could say, okay, well, we, if you were to make a trade sooner than later is, well, we'll give you a prospect and a conditional pick. Like if we um, make make the playoffs or make it past the first round, it's the first, your first pick. And if not, it's a second. But I, I do think Taylor Hall will command a, a, a first round draft pick from somebody uh, and, a, and some kind of prospect. I don't think his value as a rental is much more than that, honestly. Um, I'd be surprised if it was more than that. Because Mark Stone didn't Mark Stone got a, a first pick from Vegas, which wasn't a high first pick. Right. And and they gave up a, a really good prospect. Probably mm-hmm. a prospect as good as Evan Bouchard. Um I can't remember is it Eric Brandstrom, I think is yes. his name. Yep. But he was a he was a sign. He was a trade and sign. Yeah. So if, Vegas, if New Jersey doesn't have that, if Taylor Hall's making it clear that he's not going to sign, that lowers that value to kind of like a first pick and then it'll maybe like 
a William Loggison kind of prospect or, or a, maybe a Kyler Yamamoto kind of prospect. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the kind of conditional trades that do get made around players like uh, Hall is if the team signs him, then they have to up yes. the ante. So there could be that sort of trade because, of course, what Hall's camp says now and what they actually wind up doing could be two different things. That's true too, right? But the, then you wind up paying almost triple indemnity. You pay to get to get the guys' rights, and you chip in. You, you pay him full market value to keep him around, and then you you have to throw in yet another asset to keep him. And if you so let's go the long term scenario, Bruce. Would you sign yeah. Peter Hall to like a six seven year contract for major dollars, if it was your call? At age twenty nine. Yes. Uh, At age twenty nine. I don't think I would. Uh, I just, I, I think, I mean, like most 29-year-olds, his best years are probably already behind him. Uh, you know, he's going to be a good player for a long time, don't get me wrong, but he's going to get paid like a good player, and that's going to take a big chunk out of the team's salary cap that's already paying $21 million to two high-scoring forwards. And they need help. Uh, I, I think they need to shore up their roster in other places. You wind up throwing another $11 million or something at a guy, and then you've got a Toronto scenario where you're paying the hell out of three guys, and then you're, you know, you're building some portion of your ro- roster on duct tape and bailing wire, as the old saying goes. And yeah. I, I mean, it's t- he, had, he had his time here, and he moved, he's moved on. I mean, the, this fascination, I, I understand the interest in the guy, um, but I don't think that he's necessarily the answer. I mean, Low Tide asked me a similar question this morning on his radio show, and I made the point that Hall is, you know, he's still an offense first and last kind of player. Like, I, I watched him play a couple times recently, and I saw the same kind of defensive clangers that we saw. And, you know, lots of skating and creating chances and stuff. But he also looked dispirited and discouraged. And, and you know, he's played 10 years in this league now. And he's played on crappy teams almost every one of those years. And, I mean, maybe it's just a matter of getting in the right situation that he gets sparked up again. But I don't know. I mean, we've seen what happens when you pay a 28, 29, 30-year-old guy for six years. And, I mean, we... Oilers paid Sekra, they wound up buying him out. They paid Lucic. I mean, they, they wound up getting out from under the deal, but, they, you know, they're still paying the price. And there's very few that you can point out and say, that guy delivered on the full length of a, of a over-30 contract. Okay, here's my scenario for signing the player, because I'm, I'm completely against a long-term contract for him. But we will, we will recall that uh, when he was in Detroit, um, Ken Holland signed Hosa for one year. Uh-huh. So Hosa had just won a Stanley Cup in uh-huh. Pittsburgh, uh-huh. and he signed a one-year, I think it was for $7 million, and the Oilers had offered him $9 million on a long-term deal that same year. It was 2008, and uh, Cates was trying to make a big splash and forgot to sign Curtis Glencross. Curtis and, Glencross. Anyway, so that is the scenario. If Taylor Hall... Uh, wants to come to Edmonton on yeah. that kind of one-year deal. Um, Not going to happen. Well, I got my fingers crossed. Like that's yeah. that's like if he was to come like one year, eight million. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd say all right, that's great. Do that or like I could see two years, like a two-year. But 
I just don't see down the road because you're going to have all of these players. We're hoping that that Evan Bouchard pans out and Benson and Bear, and there's and there really is Zach Cassian to sign and Darnell Nurse to sign, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins to sign. Like there there are all these players. And some would tell you that those guys aren't the difference maker that Taylor Hall is, and if the Oilers had one more difference maker on another line, they'd be almost unstoppable. And I mean, it is it is an intriguing case. It is intriguing. Yeah, uh, but I don't discount it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's uh, I don't it's funny it. you mentioned Ar- uh, Marion Hosa because that was the example I used talking to Low Tide this morning, where Chicago was a team that went out and they got a third high-end forward in support of Taves and Kane, uh, but Hosa was you know like a selkie caliber. 200 foot player that sort of fit in anywhere on any line on the penalty kill and and you know he was just an all ice all situations player and i don't see hall as that player and i'm not sure that i see um, either the other big boys at least yet i think dry has that potential down the road but all of them you know the thing about playing defensive hockey is playing with focus for 60 minutes times 82 and, and uh Sometimes that seems to waver a little bit, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I I don't see it without creating great big holes elsewhere in the in the roster, and and you don't see him signing here one year. That's you think that's uh, kind of a fantasy. If, if I was Hall, I wouldn't do that. I mean, if you, with his health issue, that's a huge gamble on his part. If he signs for one year and something goes wrong, you know. Didn't do? Have we seen that recently? Did someone do that recently? Just trying to think. Uh, was there a case where someone did it? I can't think of it right now. One, one year deal, show me deal. Well, Chris Russell, you know, but I mean that. <laughs> yeah, that was different. That was different. That's well, not number the four thing. on the Oilers, man. I mean, how close do you want to get? But yeah, it was. Uh, I think you see it sometimes uh, in basketball. There's been an example or two like yeah, that. Yeah, but they but make so much in one. Like they make like thirty-five yeah. million dollars now in one year. Mm-hmm. It's a little different, so. Yeah, but it's, it's it would be a huge risk for for a player, you know, if if someone is out there. I mean, Marion Hosa in two thousand eight, when he did sign with Detroit, took a massive risk because if he had a bad injury that year, you know, that sixty-three million that the orders apparently offered him. You know, almost all of it would have been left on the table because he would have only taken, you know, a tiny fraction of what he could have got. But what he wound up getting was uh, a good year in Detroit that, uh, where he went to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. And then, he, you know, because he stayed healthy, he got a great um, long-term contract right after that that worked out very well for him and the Hawks. So your prediction is he's not coming to Edmonton. That's your prediction? Uh, yeah, I don't think so. I just don't see it fitting the Ken Holland model. And, I mean, my decision is not a decision. I'm just an observer here. I'm just telling you what I think. But, but I mean, the decision maker, it's not really his style. Like, when I, he was with Detroit, yeah. how many guys did he go out and pay huge bucks for to pick up? And maybe right when they were at their peak and challenging for the cup. But, I mean, the Oilers are a team that's just basically challenging to make the playoffs. And the other thing about it is this, Bruce. Like, the, the, the D- Detroit had an interesting cap situation because they had some guys signed for a lot of money, but not too much. And they didn't ever want to pay for anyone more than Lidstrom. 25 years. At, yeah. They didn't the want to. Cap tails, yeah. They didn't want to pay those players more. I think the Oilers are in kind of an interesting, similar cap situation. Like, McDavid is the highest paid player. But he took a discount. 
to sign here in Edmonton. That's well known. Drysaddle got a lot of money, but not in today's money. But and if they so if they want to keep Nurse's contract, RNH's contract, Bear's contract, Cassian's contract, like this under control, you can't lavish a lot of money on Taylor Hall. I think that would just blow like it happened in Toronto. They signed Taveras and it blew their cap situation. Their cap expectations were blown apart. And yeah, in Toronto, it was particularly uh, um, uh, double whammy because they signed Tavares before they re-signed all of their young rookies. So all those guys came in with you know eleven million dollar uh, stars in their eyes and basically got it. Yeah. So my prediction is that there's a, there's going to be another team out there who um, will want Taylor Hall more than the Oilers and be in a different cap situation. And in different need of that kind of scoring and attacking player than the Oilers, and they will end up with Tater Hall, not the Edmonton Oilers. That's my prediction. It's been Colorado is an interesting potential landing spot for him. I don't see they it. Got, they got cap space, and they would uh, maybe like I, I'm thinking more like, and I haven't looked at these teams, but like Dallas, St. Louis, um, you know, some some team like that, kind of an established Anaheim. I just that's what I'm thinking. Like that kind of team in the states, um, not maybe Colorado. Who knows? Well, they need to have cap space, and Colorado's got it, and they've also got assets galore because of uh, of the great, fantastic steal they made on the Matt Duchesne trade years ago when they got seven assets for Matt Duchesne uh, shortly after Peter Shirelli got one asset for Taylor Hall. Well, here's hoping that Colorado signs Tater Hall to a seven-year, $10 million a year contract, Bruce. That's what I'd like to see. Because I don't think that that, in the long run, works. Now, maybe I'm wrong. <coughs> yeah, maybe we're all wrong. I mean, it's like casting horoscopes, isn't it? Trying to yeah, who knows? But, so We don't know. All righty. Guessing hard, but uh, my guess is Ken Holland will say, um, I want to build from within and build a core team and and uh, blow in the cap out of the water. I mean, this cap is already blown out of the water with the big contracts yeah. that he inherited. Um, so, Bruce, I was I, I was with some of my uh, when I was in Kananaskis, I was with my high school friends, and mm-hmm. um, the, oh. one of them was talking about their dad, who every night before he, he will wake up sometimes in the middle of the night, he's got a little bit, bit of insomnia and listen to the cult of hockey podcast. Oh yeah. Cool. So I want to give a shout out to Hugh Bolton tonight. Hello uh, Hugh. Cult of hockey fan. Great. great. Uh, and a great Edmontonian. He's the, uh, he was the longtime chairman of Epcor when um, they did a lot of good things. And Epcor is a huge uh, provider for the city of Edmonton, about $150 million a year. And, taxes uh, or a dividend that goes to the city of Edmonton so anyway Hugh if you're listening tonight uh hope you enjoy the podcast and hopefully uh the Oilers will be having more luck in the the games to come they play is it f- Friday in Los Angeles Friday Sunday here against Los Angeles oh here okay Friday Sunday Tuesday it's a four-game homestand and uh uh this was the one that was supposed to get things off on the right foot so They've actually now lost three in a row at home. Anyway, uh, I uh, let's pass on good word. Thanks to the many people who have said kind things to us on Twitter of late. I've received a number of a number of uh, 
uh, very kind words in uh, Twitter about this podcast and how many people listen to it. So thank you for listening. Yeah, I just think there are lots of Oilers fans just like us. Just people mm-hmm. who love the Oilers like we do. I bet they're and frustrated I... tonight too. <laughs> 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 oh. I was painful. I'm just ready to explode here. <laughs> oh, I'm more, I, like I said, anyway. We've I know, been I this. thought I was getting more sanguine as you put it earlier this year, but... Uh, game tonight man i was nervous in the first period i think i don't like this i've seen anderson i'll tell you one thing here's my actual real good thing about tonight's game is apparently nobody got hurt and there, there was seemed like every other time he turned around some oiler was limping off to the bench uh, mcdavid got winged uh bomb got winged dry took two or three horrible spills he got his head helmet knocked off one time he he uh he went down uh, awkwardly in a corner, another time he hit his head on a guy, and uh, Kara looked like he twisted his ankle, and he came off painfully, and anyway, all those guys finished the game, and hopefully that's a good sign that they're not actually hurt, because this was a game where, it, you know, this disaster was waiting to happen. Yeah, and I wonder kinda, if nobody It kind of did, but if we just take the, the zero points and move on with our team intact, well, maybe that's a good thing. I wonder if nobody got hurt, like you get these knocks and you keep playing, but it yeah, they start that up. Thanks, Bruce. All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.